All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Join us for side two as the rock and roll over celebration continues. Gene Simmons, Peter Chris, Paul Stanley, Ace Frehley, Kiss. Rock and roll over. Kiss, rock and roll over. Casablanca Records and Tapes. Kiss, rock and roll over. I'm your host, Gary Schaller. And I'm Ken Mills. And the album in question is Rock and Roll Over. We have Matt Walters. You may know him as Necronomicon. We're also joined by Roland Sarazen. You may know him from the message boards as Red Falcon. We also have Joe Casey, creator of Ben 10, and he's written many comic books, including the Kiss comics for Dark Horse. When discussing the making of this album, Gene was speaking about working with Eddie Kramer as opposed to Bob Ezrin. And he had this to say, and this is both from the book History. We just wanted to be a rock and roll band again and get back in touch with our first three records. We made a conscious effort to look up Eddie Kramer, who had done our original demos and engineered the Alive record, and ask him to produce our next album. Then he went on to say, because working with Bob was extremely hard work, and it was easier for us to be kissed, to write our own songs, and then to get into the studio and do what we do naturally, rather than being in the studio with a guy like Bob who forced us to create songs in a different way that we were used to. You also had the thing of the record company not wanting to take as long to record as they did with Destroyer, because working with Bob Ezrin meant a lot more studio time. And it was at this point looking like Destroyer was not going to be the godsend that they wanted it. So that had to be taken into account. I wish they didn't apologize for things as much as they do, because part of the fun of being a KISS fan is enjoying KISS with KISS. And it's, you know, I don't mean to be hypercritical of, of the guys. You know, I mean, they, they gave us this great music. I just wish that they enjoyed it as much as we did. You know, it's hard it's hard when you love something as much as I love Destroyer or, heck, as much as I love The Elder or Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park or Ace or Peter or I don't know what. And, and to have it criticized, is, it's hard. It's hard. Going with what you're saying, take a look at the Tom Snyder interviews. For us at home, it was wonderfully hilarious. For some people in that room, it was anything but hilarious. A little uncomfortable. A little uncomfortable. <laughs> no, I, I get that. I understand. So we have a producer who Ace loved to work with, loved working with him so much that he went on to do his 78 solo album with him. As a matter of fact, I think this album uh, kind of sounds like Ace's album. I agree with that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is, you can like step from this album right into that one. Well, and if there's any, uh, production creativity, I guess you could call it, it's in the guitar solos. Mm-hmm. There's, there's effects on there and there's, you know, there, um, and I just think that, you know, Eddie Kramer and Ace were just kind of simpatico and that's, <clears throat> and you see it in the production of this record. Well, I mean, you get the guy who, who brought Jimi Hendrix to life on vinyl and you're going to get that kind of. You should cool. know a little bit of, about. Yeah. I think, yeah, I definitely think Ace was in awe of Eddie Kramer, more so than probably any other producer that they ever worked with. Yeah. Very true. Well, let's flip that record over, guys. Side two, love them and leave them.
This song, uh, it was a song, Rock and Roll's Royce, which basically became this song. And uh, even even in its raw demo form, this song had the potential to just stomp. And stomp it does. It is the most interesting guitar work, I think, on the album. That lead for this song, I mean, even, you know, I think Ace even knew that he had struck gold with this lead because when you get that clip from the um, Don Kirshner rock concert, you know, even though he's not really playing it live, Ace, Ace knew this solo inside and out, and he pantomimes it flawlessly. Uh, it is a great solo for a great song. And when they played it live, uh, gosh, I guess it must have been about five years ago that the, this song was sort of brought out of the crypt for a few uh, Japanese performances. It was really good. I wish they'd kept it in the set list. Um, but it's a fantastic way to start side two, and it's my favorite song on the album. Oh, Gary. <laughs> Rolling? Yeah. Yeah, another great Gene song. It's definitely one of my favorites on the album. Just so much fun, and and like Gary says, it kicks start to finish. Killer guitar solo. I love it on the video where uh, Ace is doing a little trill on on the neck, and he's pointing at his as pointing with his right hand at his left hand as it's doing the notes. Yeah, it's brilliant. Matt? Well, I, I think this is a really unusual song, and I didn't like it at first, to be honest with you, because when you look at it at face value, it's like sort of this stream of conscious lyric and sort of like this shout-along chorus, which is sort of, I mean, it's sort of dumb in some ways and sort of the most like sort of mindless uh, shout-along chorus in the whole record. But what's really great about this song is this is a band that's so tight at this point that they can afford to be loose. I mean, they sound like the song is falling off the back of a truck in the best possible way. And it's, it's, it's amazing because they hold it together. And this is a crucial point is they attempted to do the song live several times at, at, at several points in their career and they could never, for whatever reason, whenever they tried it in sound check, it didn't sound good enough. Well, I think that it, they just nailed it in the studio for this record. And it, 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 it's such a loose, feel that they just weren't able to quite be that free with it for whatever reason and it's a masterpiece as performed I mean I think as written it's sort of a throwaway track because it's just sort of Gene riffing on this thing and the band sort of just playing this sort of mindless riff but it's just performed so well you know during the Kramer era he captured the band making filler sound like gold. That's, yes. that's I mean, that's what they did. I mean, all these songs that Eddie Kramer engineered, you look at a song like Hooligan, and it, it's a single guitar chord, and there's not much to it. You look at a song like Love and the Liebman, it's like this dumb riff. Well, I mean, they sound on fire, and it just sounds it sounds great for whatever reason. I'm so, so. glad you said that about fill, you know turning filler into gold, because a few years ago, we were all kind of forecasting what we wanted to hear on uh, Sonic Boom before we even knew that it was going to be called Sonic Boom. And, and and one of the things I wanted to hear was great filler. And I think it's songs like this and, and Saint and Sinner and, and now, you know, Yes, I Know, Nobody's Perfect, you know, that kind of song that is great kiss filler. In fact, the next track on this album is great kiss filler. I guess I, I remember the video. How could any parent see that video <laughs> and let their kids anywhere near this stuff? Because it was like Disney on acid. It was like... <laughs> Sleeping Beauty and the the witch blew up. It was it, it, it was it was HR Puff and stuff. And I'd like to say on acid, but that I think that stuff was on acid naturally. But it was such a bizarre video. As a matter of fact, those three videos are pretty damn bizarre. I mean, there's the thing like you said earlier, Gary, where Paul's singing, and then there's a big puff of smoke, and his 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 uh, feathered cloak is gone. You know what I mean? And then there's that weird 
thing where Paul and Ace are doing the, the dual guitar thing and Hard Luck Woman. And right. and then this video, there's so much energy. I mean, my God, Gene uh, did more he, exercise than most of us get in a year anymore. You know what I mean? he, move, he moves like a demon. I mean, he moves like a really scary marionette. Exactly. Plays the song, yeah. exactly. I'd totally forgotten about that the end of Hard Luck Woman where Paul and Ace are sharing the guitar. Oh my god. Yeah, it was very strange. It, Cause, you know, it's, it, it was one of those things that you didn't really notice it till the very end. It's like, what the hell is going on there? But, uh... <laughs> I still look at that and wonder. <laughs> Alright, Joe, what are your thoughts on Love and Leave? Uh, it, it's a good, it's a good song. Uh, I think that the chorus always struck me as a bit repetitive. And, uh, you know, when they played it live, Good Lord! Now it's about five years ago they brought this thing out. I, I think uh, it was it was correct to say they just could never capture what they captured uh, on record when they played this thing live. And of course, they never played it live with Ace. I think that had a lot to do with it. I don't know. I, it's it is it is a, it is the most well not the most but it's one of the of the filler songs on the record. And it is interesting they opened side two with it. You know, mm-hmm. I think where they where they placed on the album is is very telling. And I actually. That makes me think that they might have thought it was a bigger song than it was, you know, like initially. Or maybe Eddie Kramer did, because often producers, especially back then, would, would be in charge of sequencing. Mm-hmm. Well, it, uh, it builds nicely, right? I mean, it's, you know, kind of the drums, the way they come in. It builds up nicely. Maybe I almost think that Mr. Speed would have been a better walk into side two, if you will. And the fact that they even shot that Kirshner video That's, at all for this song. Exactly. It, it, that that is so strange. Why would they do that? None of the only one of these songs that wound up being a single was "Hard Luck Woman." I think they did rehearse it for touring, and, and they rehearsed it again in '98. There was rumor. There was rumor that they would play that on the Psycho Circus tour. You're kidding! Oh my god! Oh, yeah, that would have been a train wreck. <laughs> well, I don't think. Uh, no, actually, I think they might have been able to pull it off. You know, mm. I don't know. One wonders. <laughs> but why those why those songs? I mean, they they obviously choreographed uh, "Love 'Em and Leave 'Em" to death. I mean, they they really ate their wheaties for that. Uh, I think that um, I do think it is the of all the songs on the record, it's the most high energy uh, Gene song. So if you're if you're sort of doing the allotment of like it's three songs, each of the singers in the band at that point sing one of them. Um, so, I mean, it's, it makes sense that that was the Gene song that they picked to do because it, it, it worked in that, in that venue. You know, I don't think, I don't think Calling Dr. Love would have been as fun to watch them pantomime, if you know what right. I mean. Yeah. I'm also thinking this is the only Kiss album other than Carnival of Souls that did not have, no, that, that, that I'm taking that back. I think this is the only Kiss album that didn't have a Paul Stanley single. Huh. Well, that might be true. Yeah. Now that you mention it, yeah, I think you're right. Wow. The only one. Well, wait, well, what about Elder? Uh, no, uh, no, I was a single. So he was on that? Yeah. Can you think of another album in the catalog that doesn't have a Paul? Creature of the Night, yeah. Well, was so, I Still Love You a single? No. It's hard to yeah. believe that that, uh, that, that song didn't do something on FM radio at that time. Yeah. If I Love It Loud was the only single off Creatures, yeah. yeah wow. So, okay, so then those are the two albums. Now, I wish Brian was still on here because uh, the one thing about Love Him and Leave Him that was kind of fun was growing up and, you know, he, he's 11 years younger than I am, but I remember he must have been about 8 or 9, and one day he walks into my room and starts singing, Rubber Beaver, and, uh, you know, I, th- th- that's what he thought they were singing. Wait, wait, 
Was he? Did he think? Okay, wait a minute now. <laughs> did he <laughs> think they were saying rubber beaver or yes, rubber yes. beaver? No, 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 no. It was, no, it was it was the it was the G-rated version. Yeah, I okay. I, I, I kind of yeah. like Joe's version better. Yeah, rub her, rub her beaver. <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> no, it was very G-rated. It was very G-rated. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't think your mom would let uh, you guys listen to Kiss if if it would have been Rub Her Beaver. Yeah. yeah. Although you know, grab onto my rocket and yeah, you, know, you lift your dress. You want to impress. But I know. Come on, listen. Rub Her Beaver would be the only uh, play on words that they didn't use. Okay. Right. Well, right. there's always next album. You hear that, guys? <laughs> rub, her, rub Her Beaver. There you go. Oh, we won't even ask for a credit. Moving ahead, we we uh, we get to Kiss's homage to premature ejaculation. <laughs> and I I always thought this song reminded me of the Rolling Stones. Yeah, I could really hear the Stones doing this. Yeah, especially that opening guitar riff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, swagger, brown, swagger, brown, big time. brown sugar kind of thing. I absolutely love this song, and uh, I never did understand why the ladies would like to call him Mr. Speed, except that he can get the girls that quick. Uh, over as I've gotten older, and I see, uh, you know, erectile dysfunction ads and, and things like that, Mr. Speed is not necessarily a good thing. But uh, I, I really think that that's what the song's about: is is how quick he can get with a girl. Well, has anyone ever been able to, or has he ever commented? Because I, I feel like he might have somewhere where. Coming out of the, I guess it's the, is it the guitar solo where he has that sort of, I don't care. What is he talking about? <clears throat> I actually have a clip where he says that, and a disc jockey asks him about that, and he says, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't he say that in the song then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, now we're going we're gonna to wrap up right now. Nick is a huge, I mean, when we found out you guys are coming in, literally almost fell over. I am a huge well, Kiss fan. Yeah. What question would you like to ask Kiss before they leave? And if it's dumb, I'm going to hammer you about it for the next year. Well, that's year. the thing, is it'll sound incredibly dumb. Do you like men? How <laughs> big is your tongue anyway? I would never be stupid enough to ask that question. Ask a question. The radio is yours. Oh, this is crazy. I knew he'd fall under pressure. In a song, Mr. Speed. Yes. Why do you yell out, I don't care, during the guitar solo? After guitar wow, solo. Wow, that's a really interesting question. I've always wanted to know that since I was a little kid. It probably means nothing since so long ago, but it's, yeah, that was a question. That's a really good question. You know, I'd have to listen to the song again. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. I try to go, I don't care. Yeah. Just, just uh-huh. before the solo. It's my folk kiss song. Thank you so much. You need loving. You're looking out for new romances. Yeah, true. true. You, you know, know you got to take your chances. When I dance, oh, gosh, you know you got to make it the cry. Because you ain't enough, lady, to keep the master satisfied. Now I can die. There, Thank you, Paul. I knew you'd want to wrap up with something cool. Thank you very much for that. No, I thought I've been waiting lead up to the point where you say, I don't care. Well, there you go. You got the kind of loving that uh, I need. You need, yeah. The kind of love. So bad. That's it's why the ladies call me Mr. Speed. I don't, I don't care. care. There you go. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Right, tremendous. Well, you guys, a new CD coming out. We're playing Jungle, and all I can say is thank you very much. It was a lot of fun having you guys in here. Thank you. Paul from Kiss on the new 93X. 
Yeah, I don't care. That's very strange because lyrically, the, the song is about a guy that can hook up with a chick real fast. What is he just saying? I don't care about girls. I, is this another I love them and leave them kind of thing? You know? I think that's what it is because, cause, you know, you think about the lyrics and he says, you know, uh, you, you, it's horrible. I can't even say it out loud. You, you, you ain't enough lady to keep the master satisfied. Oh, <laughs> it's just like, it's about as bad as it gets. But, okay. Yeah. Because he doesn't care. He doesn't care <clears throat> if you have enough lady to keep the master satisfied. Don't you realize the lady's calling Mr. Speed, you know? He doesn't care. I'm going to find those lyrics. Roland, what do you think of uh, Mr. Speed? Yeah, it's a, it's a good song. A uh, little bit of a different feel from the rest of the album, especially from Paul's songs. But, uh, yeah, I like it. It's not one of my favorites on the album, but uh, I do love the the uh, guitar riff on it. Excellent guitar. Excellent guitar. I and I Paul, Paul has also said uh, he's uh, referenced this song a couple times when he talks about writing songs now. He says, like, there's no way I could have write that today. It's a real Paul guitar song as, as opposed to a real ace-driven guitar song. It's it, You can really feel Paul Stanley's guitar style on this song as opposed yeah. to a lot of others. And it's very kick-ass. I mean, you really got to give it to him on this one. He, he, he really knocked it out, and this is like, you know, as we mentioned, the Stones. I mean, if you're going to steal from somebody, it should be from the, you know, the best. So it's uh, it's funny because it's not the kind of song. I mean, I'm not surprised that they that they never played it live because it's not the kind of song that they that they would play live. You know, it's right. a little it's a little, you know, like you guys were saying, it's it's got that kind of Stonesy swing to it, and they just never in the songs that they that they uh, that sort of went in that direction in their repertoire. They just never went there live. So it makes perfect sense that it was just something that, again, to them, they saw as just an album cut, not something that they would ever, you know, perform. It was great to have it on the uh, convention tour because it worked so well acoustically. We'll we'll play a uh, snippet of that here.
we don't really know that one. No, no kidding, guys. You don't know that one. And I'm going to read those lyrics right now. Oh, boy. You need loving. You need looking out for new romances. I should do this like William Shatner. You need loving. You're looking out for new romances. Yeah, it's true. You know you got to take your chances. When I laugh, well, baby, don't you know you can cry, I, 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 because you ain't enough lady to keep the master satisfied. Well, you know, I got the kind of loving that you need, the kind of loving that you need. I'm so fast, that's why the ladies call me Mr. Speed. You try pleasing, but getting on your knees don't make it. You try teasing, but baby, you can't even fake it. No. Made it clear, but baby, you can't even see me. So stop those tears, because baby, you can't even deceive. Aha. Like he caught her. Okay. Aha. Yeah, you know, I got the kind of loving that you need, the kind of loving that you need. I'm so fast, that's why the ladies call me Mr. Speed. Look out, because Ace is going to, like, hit him with a killer guitar solo. And, and then he goes, ow! But the way it's written, lyrically here, it's like, ah, like I caught you. And then he says, I don't care. <laughs> so, so basically, she's trying to manipulate him, and she's using tears and all this stuff, and he's like, I, I just don't give a shit. I like, I, you know, here, hearing you, I mean, this is probably one of the most surreal moments I've ever experienced <laughs> hearing you recite the lyrics to Mr. Speed. But, but if you take those and you, you know, you think about the opening lyrics of Take Me, mm-hmm. this has got to be the Sean Delaney of it all. I agree. You know, he has got to be the guy who's, who is providing those, those lyrics, because th- those just are not, they're not only not lyrics that Paul seems to ever write they're not even a sentiment that he would even put forth on his own i gotta say you know this song is great and it it is among the the kind of head scratcher things for me as a kiss fan it's just how great people say it is because it is a great song and i really do like it i don't think that they kind of invented the wheel with this song the way people talk about um you know it's it's up there with the crowd reaction to lick it up you know which is like wow really you guys are really digging Lick It Up? Again? You're really yeah. wanting to hear that again? Well, to me, you know how, like, um, I Want You had the Zeppelin homage. To me, this has the Stones. Yeah, and yeah. I think that I think that's why, because they are such a, in, in sort of design and intent, they're such a Beatle-influenced band mm-hmm. that, that to um, tap into, and they just, they only do it occasionally to tap into the other, Sort of 60s iconic band, like the Who or yeah, but I mean, but for the Stones specifically, mm-hmm. uh, it's just so out of left field for this band that I think people get into it just for that reason. You know, that it's such an anomaly, but yet part of their DNA that they, I think they probably uh, suppress a lot of times. You know, that when they let it go occasionally, it's I think it's refreshing. You know, well that's Ace too, right? I mean, that's that's a lot of what Ace was into. I think mm-hmm. it's. I think Peter was the biggest Rolling Stones fan of of the of the four of them. Matt Walters. Uh, I think this is one of the most interesting songs in the album. I think it's the best song in the album that Paul brought. Um, there's. I think that it's unusual because it's got this this great guitar riff and it's built around this fantastic guitar riff and chorus, and I just love it. It's a great song. Okay, our next song is See You in Your Dreams. Roland, what do you think of it? Uh, big chorus. I like the chorus on it um, a lot, but I heard this version before the solo version, but I do like the solo album version better. 
Um, but this, but it's got a great it's got a great riff to it. Joe, big guitars. Yeah, I think that um, I feel the same way about this one that I feel about uh, Ladies Room, which is, and I and I actually, I, it, obviously Gene, I think felt the same way too because he redid it on a solo album, and the one on his solo album to me is so much better. Uh, just light years beyond. And I did hear the solo album version first, so when I heard this one. It, again, it just seems so anemic. It seemed like a, the demo version of Gene's solo album version. And I kind of still feel this way now. Um, the one thing I do like about it is that in the chorus, you can really hear Paul Stanley singing. And uh, that was going to get rarer and rarer as, you know, as the albums went on. Mm-hmm. We actually hear, really distinctly hear each other's voices on each other's songs. Um yep. But you can really hear Paul on this one, which I think is kind of cool. It's one of the things I love about Sonic Boom is returning to that, you know, yeah. hearing hearing the guys singing on each other's songs and really distinct, distinctly hearing it. Right. Matt? You know, this is a song that I really struggle with. It's my least favorite song on the album because I heard the Gene solo version first, and I love the Gene solo version. And it's, you know, I think it's a bit like the Beatles' Revolution. Whichever song, whichever version of the song you hear first, that's the version of the song you're going to like. And I love... You know, the, this backup singers, Jay Seagal and, and Michael DeBar and all that stuff. And on this version, it just sounds like sort of flat. So I don't really like this song that much. Gary, what do you think of it? Yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm squarely in the camp of people who, uh, A, heard Gene's solo version first and B, prefer that, that version. Having said that, um, I really do like this recording of it. One of the cool things, uh, I guess, gifts that my wife gave me, um, was the gift of the Shangri-Las, because that was a band that she really likes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and there's, sometimes Gene brings that influence into his songwriting and, and the, the stuff he brings to Kiss. And like, bits of that and Christine 16 and moments on other records, like, Ken, you and I have talked about the kind of Motown or girl group influence that you hear on Kiss records. Yeah, and the, the uh, early rock and roll. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, the, and it's it's like you got you know where you come from, and no matter how heavy metal or how hard rock, when it really comes down to it, it's it's that stuff that got you as a 15 year old or 16 year old kid that, that that made your foot tap or your your hips move or whatever the hell it was. It, that's what comes out, and and those guys are uh, a casualty of their times, like we all are. Yeah, I would say too though that uh, you know to, the difference in the two versions. Um, I mean, in, in sort of in retrospect, you kind of wish that the version from Gene's solo album was on Rock and Roll Over because you want it to be in a way you want the better version to be on the Kiss record and the weaker version to be on the solo record. But I tell you what, the version on Gene's record, even before I knew it was a song that was on a Kiss record, it was the song that reminded you that Gene was Gene because. All the other material on his solo record, and I, I won't get all, too much on a tangent here, but all the material on his solo record was not material that he would have played in the context of Kiss, except that song, and he sings it like he know, you know, like he's reminding everybody that no, I'm I am the guy from Kiss, and especially in that last verse where he finally, you know, he brings out the growl, mm-hmm. you know, with that big, you know, which is like probably the one of the greatest moments on his solo record because it reminds you who he is, you know. And so listening to the, the version on Rock and Roll Over, it's way softer than he sings it later, you know, which is, again, I think all of Gene's songs on Rock and Roll Over, he learned how to sing them later on. 
you know, and, and this is a great example that it's 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 a way it's way soft in terms of vocal performance to me. Well, I guess I'm going to be the dissenting voice on this. I like the rock and roll over version better than his solo album. Uh, even though I love Rick Nielsen and I love his guitar work on that album, there's just something about this version that, that has me. And again, this was also the first version of it that I heard. So I think it's very telling. I, I don't know, and and this might be blasphemous, but sitting here right now as we're talking about this, I cannot. And I, this is uh, to me, this is unheard of in terms of you know the first six or seven Kiss records. I can't remember Ace's solo in this song as we're sitting here. It's not it's not coming to me as I think of it. But, but Rick Nielsen's always hit you. Yeah. Oh I know that one you know. Which I, I well, know by the one. way, did you guys ever notice that the first notes in that is when you wish upon a star? N- not only yep. that, but he but he quotes um well what is it? Is it a song is it it's uh good good morning. By the yeah, Beatles. by the Beatles. Yeah. At the end of the end of the solo, that yeah, it's great. The A solo for this is very similar to the uh, the um, Lover All I Can solo. Mm-hmm. It's that. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Now I'm okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Getting old, fellas. But it, it is you, you make it you make a very interesting point that Rick Nielsen's solo almost just rises right up. It's kind of strange, you know, there's in, no in better, your memory. Yeah, and there's no better to me. There's no better guitar solo craftsman than Ace Frehley in terms of you know them, you remember them, they stick in your head, you can sing them, and the fact that just as we're, I mean, now I remember it when Gary kind of reminded me. So, but it just wasn't coming to me naturally, which. I don't know if I could say that about practically any other Ace Frehley solo, which is weird. Very strange. song is the other single that was released from this album and uh, it went up to number 15 on the charts so 15 and 16 were the charting positions for the two singles anybody know what was on the other side of this oh my god um was it i want you anyone else it's no mal cool dra which is hard luck woman backwards <laughs> oh my god <laughs> oh mr speed mr speed there you're you go. kidding me no wow and then uh we had uh let's see Calling Dr. Love was, what did we say it was? Calling Dr. Love is Take Me. Yeah. Wait a second, guys. Do you realize Sean Delaney's on both the B-sides? I'm thinking that even though it was a B-side, he still got quite a good chunk of change from it just for being on a song that went to 15 and 16, respectively. So. Yeah. Matt? Well, this is a great song. I mean, it's a masterpiece. It's so well-written. And it, 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 it's really great that Eddie Kramer insisted that Paul bring the song to the table and that Peter sing it. I mean, it's, it really does show that, that Eddie Kramer was more than an engineer and that he, he really did have an idea of how this band could sound better than they were, better than they were just playing live. I mean, he, this is a song that didn't belong in Kiss necessarily, that Paul didn't foresee being in Kiss. It ends up being one of their biggest singles. 
So what do we think of Hard Luck Woman Joe Casey? It's Paul Stanley trying to write Maggie May, clearly. The whole thing about it was written for Rod Stewart, and Gene said, no, we got to have it on the album and all that kind of stuff. Again, I don't know how much of that is sort of apocryphal or just sort of, you know, it, it makes for a good story. I think it's a good song, and I think it's interesting that, again, they picked it to be on the record before they knew that Beth was going to break. So the fact that even in the mindset of trying to go back to this, you know, you know, uh, basic rock and roll, the, the Dress to Kill follow-up album, they still put this song on the record. I would probably chalk that up to Eddie Kramer, but even that is not necessarily in Eddie Kramer's wheelhouse of what he does. So it's a weird track to be on this record at this particular time where they were in their career. In retrospect, I'm glad they put it on, but, you know, as we're talking about it now, it's a, it's a weird one to put on there. But, like, people will talk about, like, Paul trying to sound like Bon Jovi or Def Leppard or whatever. Here he was trying to write a song for Rod Stewart, which was, at the time, the Bon Jovi and Def Leppard of its time. You know what I'm saying? Sure, yeah. I'm not actually saying they're the same stylistically, but Rod Stewart was huge at that point. And uh, it seemed like anything he touched was turning to gold. So they, they definitely tried to emulate uh, Rod Stewart on that. There's, there's no getting away from it. It's a great song. Great song. Roland? It goes strangely with the rest of the album, but it's probably my favorite Peter song up to that point in their career, even though Paul wrote it. And my favorite version still to this day is that convention show in L.A. where Peter came up and sang it with the band, with the tambourine. I mean, that's one of those later in the career, but one of those, that old magic coming right back and just instantly being right there. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's a beautiful song. It, it's a great song. Although, what in the hell is it about? Oh, it's about rags. It's about rags. A sailor's <laughs> only daughter, a yeah. child of the water. Yeah. Too proud of the queen. queen. Yeah, exactly. Okay, thank you. I was confused before, but now I got it. <laughs> I was confused before. I'm even more confused now. Great that was song. The, the, the rags lyric, just that one word, I, I never, you know, I, I don't know how, it was probably 20 years since I first heard that song that I figured out. I didn't even figure it out. I probably, it wasn't until the Internet that I knew what, what that word was. You know? I thought it was red, that he was, you know, like maybe a red-headed girl. I, I always <laughs> heard it as red. Yeah. It's a great song, though, and I uh, I love that version from uh, the convention show. We should play that here. Okay, remember, remember earlier, remember earlier, we were saying that, that without the four original guys, we would never be here today. Remember what we were talking about, everybody? Remember what we were talking about, Peter and Nate? Well, we thought it might be something special, but something really deserved. I mean, you deserve this, and it's going to be a kick for us. We thought Peter could come out and sing a couple of songs.
I think it's a shame that it didn't get played live on the reunion tour or on past a certain point on the rock and roll over tour. They get they well, it a few times. Look on YouTube. There's they did it a Memphis show that's on YouTube. Yeah, horrible, horrible quality, but it's there. Great track, great track all around. The next one, Making Love, another Sean Delaney co-write, making it three co-writes for Mr. Sean Delaney. Matt? I love this song as performed on the record. It's one of my favorite songs on the record again. It is the, the best Ace Frehley guitar solo in the canon for my, for my money. It is, as a guitar player, I've tried to play it many times. I've never played the solo correctly. It's, it's just such an amazing solo on so many levels. I feel like they never pulled the song off live. I know that, uh, Gary, I think you said you disagree with that, but I don't like the fact that you don't get that effect of the, um, of the vocals and the chorus. I, I really don't like the way that it's pulled off live. I think the studio version is the definitive version. It's a fantastic way. It's one of my favorite closers as far as Kiss songs go. Gary? I, I think the Alive 2 version just smokes, you know. That solo, live, amazing. Just, you know, Ace at his best. And and, and it's, it is basically an unremarkable song in a lot of ways. It it, it starts out like a uh, whole lot of love, I guess, right? It sounds like a whole lot of love. It's that, Oh, that it's Zeppelin. definitely another Zeppelin song, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what, what makes it interesting is not only Ace's great guitar solo, um, but the acoustic guitar thing that's going on, uh, during the, yeah, I guess the, the pre-chorus, right? Mm. Um, but when Ace lights up and plays that solo, particularly, you know, live in 77 and 78, it's just unbelievable. What a, what a great guitar player. Roland? This one just absolutely rips from the first time I, I heard it. I always thought it was great. And I, it did not surprise me one bit when on the Revenge Tour they brought this song back. I think the arrangement of the way the song is, is very much similar to a lot of the songs on Revenge. And you kind of have to listen real carefully to hear it, but it's almost, it sounds a lot like a Revenge song. Wow. I could hear that. I could hear that. Yeah, kind of like, um. It's a stretch, but you gotta go through it then with the high guitar parts where the, where they're acoustic, but live they're not. They're not acoustic live. If you listen to the acoustic, uh, the live version, you could hear that being a song on Revenge. I always thought it was weird that they played this song on Rock Honors, even though it wasn't broadcast originally. They, they did that, this song that night. It was kind of like an impromptu, yeah. I know they did Deuce, and it was, uh, it was odd because it was performed with Eric wearing his platform shoes. Yeah. Which doesn't usually happen. And naturally, he kicked ass. Um, one thing I will say though is that in 98 when they, when they played this, it just, it wasn't the same. And it was sad. I don't know if anyone else witnessed that on the Psycho Circus tour. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard. It was yeah, hard. it definitely was. Well, I'll say this about the song. I mean, it's one of those songs that the Alive 2 version Again, that was the first version I heard, and Paul's vocal performance is so right on, and so, I mean, he really goes for it, even more so than on the studio version. Then when I, you know, I mean, you really, you really know about studio trickery and what, what, you know, how, how you go in and you fix things, and because I tell you what, he never sang that song live the way he sang it on Alive too, because he couldn't. Right. You know, he was, he just, he couldn't get the, the, the air behind it. He couldn't hit the notes the way that the Alive 2 version does. So that to me is a good example of the pinnacle of a song, you know, for whatever reasons, how live it was or not live it was. But they really nailed it. And, and, you know, I mean, I'll be the 
the next in a long line to say Ace's solo is just so phenomenal, so great. I mean, it, it, it to this day you hear it and it's still it's kind of it's electrifying to listen to, you know. And especially really, in the really live cool. two version, because he just grabs you right away by strumming the one chord, and then it it uh, turns into that really high harmonic yeah. before he, before he does the first line. I mean, he's got you right there. Yeah. I mean, who who was cooler? You know, I mean, you, and you look at him. You know, the thing that always leaps off the page for me about Ace is that is the way he holds his guitar pick and that balled up fist, like he like he's just gonna punch the strings with his right hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he doesn't. Like, you know, you look at Vinnie Vincent, it's like the opposite. His fingers are all kind of splayed out, and the, he's pinching the pick really tight. But, like, Ace has got his guitar pick, like, in a fist. Like, he's just going to kick ass, and he does. But at the same time, he makes it look so easy. His eyes are closed. His mouth is hanging open. He's just in another world. I mean, who is cooler? I don't know where he picked up that picking technique, because I, I, I just, none of his heroes did it, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's just a weird thing that he, he only he does it. No one really sends him holds it like that. It's it's really weird.
Rock and Roll Over was certified gold by the RIAA on 11-11-1976 and platinum on January 5th, 1977. As a matter of fact, on the same day that Rock and Roll Over received gold certification, Destroyer became the band's first platinum certified studio album. So the album that they were saying, uh, we don't know if we want to work with Bob Ezrin again, and uh, gee whiz, we really don't want to be like that band. Blink, it made them a platinum selling band. And I think went on to be their second biggest selling record. Of course, we get emails here at the podcast, and here's an email that we got from Cameron, and I'll read this, and uh, we have a question for the roundtable. Hey, Gary and Ken, my name is Cameron, also known as LoveGun07. I'm currently creating my own fan page called Kissin' Time, which can be found at kissintime.webs.com. On our webpage, we are planning to do a monthly album discussion, including the great rock and roll all over. After talking to a lot of fellow board visitors, we would love to hear the podcast staff do a show that focuses on rock and roll over. No doubt it deserves its own special show, as it's one of Kiss's finest albums. My question for you guys today is what song off that album do you think should have been played in concert? So many songs like Love Em, Leave Em, and Mr. Speed deserve a chance in the Kiss set list. Thanks for reading, guys. Keep up the great work, Cameron. So, guys, what song should have been played live? Matt? The, the song that should have been performed live that wasn't is Love Em and Leave Em. I, I would have loved to have heard this song live on Rock and Roll Over's tour. Seeing that, that TV special where they're miming the song just gives me so much, oh, my gosh, I just really wish they would have played it live. Well, there's only three that they didn't play, so kind of narrows it down. The actual tour, they, they played five songs off this album, didn't they? Not bad. Take Me, Ladies Room, Hard Luck Woman, I Want You, and Making Love. And then they went on to play Dr. Love, and then, right. you know, a couple of years ago, Love Them and Leave Them. So that only leaves Baby Driver, Mr. Speed, and See You in Your Dreams that and, have not been played live. Okay, Roland, you're... If, uh, if Love Them and Leave Them qualifies uh, being on that list, that'd be my pick. If they could pull that off live, yeah, that'd be a great one live. Joe? I would have liked to have heard the, them do See You in Your Dreams, but the but the Gene Simmons solo arrangement, that version. I think that would have been cool. One thing I don't like about that version is the I love you, don't, you know that I'm talking about? Those bass plucks, yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds too disco-y for me right well, there. I, again, I know I'm the dissenting opinion here. I don't disagree with you there, Ken, but I think that's sort of like if if that's what you have to put up with to get the rest of the song, then it's kind of like, yes, exactly. (laughs) Gary? Uh, You know, I I love Love Them and Leave Them, but I would have to actually go with uh, Hard Luck Woman. I just feel like there's so few opportunities in the Kiss uh, set lists for Pete to have center stage. You know, and I mean, I know that it was a, a part of the convention tour, and Paul sang it, and he wrote it, and that's fine. I, I like more Pete vocals in a Kiss concert, and that would be a reason to do it. Brings up an interesting question: with Beth being considered such a Peter song, do you think if they would have brought back "Hard Luck Woman" instead of Beth on the last tour with Eric singing it, what do you think the reaction would have been? Do you think it would have been not quite as harsh from some uh, some certain people? Oh, I it would have been. Yeah, it would not have been nearly as harsh. Yeah. Well, to some, there are people that you know. No matter what, it well, some people won't still, be happy. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the same, but I don't think it would have been much different. How's that? Because they, they could have done it in almost the same setting of just going acoustic, and and he could have come down and sang it. That that would have been interesting. Well, if they do do it, I want to hear it with drums. Yeah, I do too, actually. My pick is Mr. Speed. I just would have loved to heard. 
that live. And I can't for the life of me understand why I never made it, even though Gary doesn't love it as much as I do. That's one of those songs that, that is sort of one of the untalked about classics. I mean, I, I think most diehard Kiss fans would consider that a classic Kiss song and one of the very, very few that has never been, it really hasn't been played live. And I think that it falls under the the award that we give every so often to the, well, you better fucking learn it. You know. <laughs> Whoever that guy is in Australia, we love you. Yeah. That's funny as hell. You you are immortalized on YouTube forever. Well, you better uh, fucking learn it. I can do that. You better fucking learn it. Everybody knows that. You, yeah. can, you can say that to any KISS fan and their face will light up because they know that's, exactly what you're talking about. That's great. So uh, how would you rate this in the KISS canon? I mean, is it like in your top five? Rock and roll over, that is. No. Man, top five? Possibly, but it would be like number five. I mean, one thing we didn't talk about, it has one of the best album covers of any KISS record. That there, It's that definitely there worth talking no about. No doubt. It is the greatest Kiss album cover. Probably, you know, even though I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not nuts about their faces, the way their faces are depicted, the overall design. And when I heard that the guy who did this, uh, what's his name, is Michael Durrett or Michael, Michael Durrett, uh, was going to do Sonic Boom, I was way excited. And then I saw the Sonic Boom album cover and was a little less excited. But this is a truly iconic cover, and mainly because... And I guess it's in the album too, but I mean, it, it went beyond the album. It's probably the perfect uh, Kiss sticker that you could ever have. Oh, definitely. You mm-hmm. know. As a matter of fact, now you mentioned it. Has anybody ever spun the album cover? Like, like held it and like spun it? You know, like you do a basketball. Of course, yeah. And, and I think a lot of Kiss fans have, but it's such a stupid sure. thing to do. <laughs> I but, mean, you know, and, it, it, it's, and you can just—it's probably the only album that you would do that to. But you can see, it's funny, because even though the songs necessarily, except for maybe uh, Dr. Love, as I said before, the songs don't necessarily reflect the personalities of the band mm-hmm. as they were developing in popular culture, even. But the album cover does. The oh, album definitely. cover gives them their each their own little domain and the stuff behind their heads and stuff. And the album starts to, again, reinforce uh, what musically Destroyer had begun, you know. I mean, it's just a... Although I'm not quite sure what's behind Peter's head. It looks like bamboo or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> aren't they... Aren't, isn't it just leaves or something? Okay. Fair enough. Oh, like well, a jungle. Uh, okay, there you go. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, what the album cover is, is it's balance. You know, I mean, if you look at that album cover, it's... Um, the four. It's e- yeah. It's, it's, a, it's what Kiss sounds like on that record, not in terms of being, you know, outer space uh, superheroes. But just in terms of this like symmetrical, balanced uh, band where everyone is super talented. I mean, you know, th- this is this this album. While it's not in my top five, and it's and it is my least 
favorite of the original makeup era. This lineup, I mean, this album is uh, uh, the answer to the people who say the Kiss are not a musically talented band. You know, they always were a musically talented band, grossly underrated. You know, never, never more so than on this record. Well, you bring up an interesting point. If if we were to rate right now, those of us that are here right now, if if we were to rate them one 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 through six, how how does your order go? As far as the albums that you like the best, where does Rock and Roll Over fit? Like, what's your one through six? Your top the, six Kiss albums from the that first, type of thing? Oh, the first six studio records you made? Yes, mean? thank you, uh, Joe. Roland? I, honestly, I don't know if, if I could actually list them beyond maybe even three. I, I, I mean, Creatures, for me, just came at the perfect time for me. It's always been my favorite studio album. Oh, well, well I think, I, um, to clarify, I think what he's asking is, if you the first drink. six? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The first three for me have always been one cohesive unit. I, I've never been able to almost separate those first three albums. I think of those as, as more of like the originals than anything else. Um, I can't say I like Dress to Kill better than the first album. I, I would just say the first album just because it was that first set of songs and it's got so many classics. It, I mean, probably the first album would be Tops. I guess I'd go Hotter Than Hell second, probably Rock and Roll Over third, Destroyer fourth, uh, Dress to Kill, and then uh, Love Gun. If I have to go off the top of my head, that's what I'd say. Okay, Joe? I would say uh, Destroyer, Dress to Kill, Love Gun, uh, Rock and Roll Over, Hotter Than Hell, and the first album. Gary? I, yeah, I would say Destroyer, Love Gun, Dress to Kill, Kiss, Hotter Than Hell, Rock and Roll Over. Uh, from from favorite to uh, less favorite. Wow. Uh, I don't even know if I can do this. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for asking us. <laughs> I'm going to go with Kiss for number one, Love Gun for number two, Dress to Kill, Rock and Roll Over, Hotter Than Hell, and Destroyer. I'm all over the map here. But but see that's today. Tomorrow you might get a different answer. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Exactly. You know, Joe, what you were saying about the album cover, it, what made the cover so great is that image completely transcended that album. That that yes. that image is probably one of those top again, top five or something, images of Kiss that you would ever put in your head. The Destroyer cover probably being another one. I mean, talk about two great album covers in a row and even Love Gun after that, you know. Well, I mean, it was, it was, uh, whether it was by design or not, it was making the the four of them, uh, it transcended them sort of as people, you know. I mean, it it really turned them into, you know, they were in the process of turning themselves into icons. I mean, I always... That's the beginning of the icons, yeah. Yeah, I always kind of thought that they did start to get this sense of, and probably because maybe budget allowed for it too, that they could have a little bit more elaborate artwork, like the the paintings on uh, Love Gun and uh, Destroyer, as opposed to the photographs that were the first three Kiss albums. Is that you were start, you know, because they could afford it, they could start to go into that sort of comic book kind of realm where they could um, immortalize themselves. Beyond photography, if that makes any sense, you know, it's like they could take their imagery and push it out there in a way that that transcended their kind of their physical beings, if that makes any sense. It's a little heavy-handed, but I mean, I think that that it was a smart thing to do because then you take that iconography and you once again you put it on top of the band when you see them, and it, I think it has worked to this day 
where you see Kiss on stage and on some level you're just buying into the the iconography of it. You're not seeing, you know, four 60-year-olds on stage wearing makeup, you know, and two of them not even original members. You're you're buying into the iconography of the band still. And that's because they took the time early on to do album covers like this that set that up, you know. And I so wish I could find it and I and I I know I read it. There was an interview with Ace, I think around 1979, where he Mentioned that someday there could be a a kiss, kiss without the original members. Yeah, yeah, and it, uh, with those characters, and and I, I just, oh god, I wish I could find it because <laughs> you know it's it's amazingly ironic, I guess, today to to have that sort of thing. And of course, Bill Coyne maintained until I think until he, he died that that was the original intention, and that it was for reasons having to do with legal ownership that. Um, the Catman character didn't continue past Peter's departure. Right. Hi, my name is Bill Starkey, the founder of the Kiss Army, and you're listening to Podkissed. You know, as with as with every time we do this, uh, you know, I walk in with one feeling about the record, and then, you know, regardless of what that feeling is, I immediately want to go listen to it. And that's, um, I think that's part of why I, I love doing this, uh, this show. And I hope that the people listening and everyone participating has that same experience. Because if nothing else, I just now want to listen to this record and have a good time. It's a fantastic record, and I'm glad that we got a chance to talk about it. So thank you, everybody uh, who participated, and thank you, everyone who's going to listen. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podkist is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkist crew, thank you for listening to Podkist, the KISS fanzine for your ears. The, uh, the, 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 um, mm-hmm. it's that, uh, oh, yeah, okay, now I'm, okay, got it, got it, got it, yeah. <laughs> Ouch, that will be cut out. Um, <laughs> Roland, I'm going to slap the shit out of you. By the way... Thank you for listening to side two of our Rock and Roll Over podcast special. Now, listen to side three.